Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Monday morning here, September the 27th, 2021. It is 7.02 on your Tucson morning. Welcome to Tucson's only local morning sports talk show right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Uh, It's another typical Monday here where we, you know, kind of, I sit here as I'm preparing for the show and, up bright and early, about 4.30 this morning, prepping for the show, getting everything ready. And it's I, I could have used another two hours of prep time, and I could probably use another two hours of talk time as well because there is just that much to unpack uh, from the weekend, starting with Friday afternoon and evenings play in college football and uh, sports news, going on into Saturday with a day full of college football, including Pac-12 action and the Wildcats and the Ducks. Of course, we'll be getting into that real soon. And following it up, finally, with the uh, the day on Sunday, it was a uh, an absolutely wild, a wild Sunday in the NFL. There were so many things going on. I, I just, I'm just, I'm so thankful for the NFL red zone. <laughs> I really am. I am thankful for that. And Scott Hansen, who's the host of that show, I could not even imagine the amount of juggling that it would take to to do that, especially like the morning session where there's all those games going on and they're all kind of coming to a close at the same time. They're just back and forth. He does an amazing job. I don't envy that dude's job at all. He must go home just completely drenched and tired and headache. And I mean, just what a day for that guy. And yesterday was just one of those days in the NFL. Week three provided us a lot of stunning plays and highlights. And we'll, of course, get into that when we talk NFL. We uh, Coming up at, at uh, 8 o'clock, we will do the Dean's List and the Dunce List. It is backed by popular demand. We do it every Monday, the Heroes and Zeros, from the weekend that was. So we'll have a full rundown of that for you on the Dean's List today at, uh, at 8 a.m. So that's coming up in an hour. And uh, we'll squeeze in as much uh, football talk and, I mean, who knows what else uh, all around that. But we begin with the game at Autzen Stadium in Eugene, Oregon, on Saturday night as the Wildcats head up there. Took their 0-3 record to take on the number three team in the country, the Oregon Ducks. And the game, okay, the the final result, the score, if you will, if you were just to have woken up Sunday morning or gotten home late Saturday night and just looked at whatever app you were looking at or happened to turn on the TV real quick and saw on the on the ticker that Arizona had lost 41-19, you're like, okay, well, that's, that's kind of what we expected. Hey, look, we covered. Uh, we didn't. We didn't get beat by 30. Uh, you know, maybe that would have been the reaction. But for those of us who watched the game every single second of it, it was a roller coaster ride of emotions, right? I mean, just an absolute. I mean, you don't. You go into the game not expecting much, right? We. I, I always preach that. Manage your expectations. Arizona fans not expecting much. And nobody was expecting much out of Arizona, uh, as far as the the people watching the game. Obviously, those young men on the team. And the coaching staff and uh, everyone involved in the uh, uh, in the organization there, obviously they were, you know, expecting a little bit more. They were expecting to win that football game. You go in there, and if you don't if you don't expect to win, then why are you even doing it? So, the fans, obviously, the media, not expecting Arizona to really show up and and put on much of a fight, but they did. 
The Wildcats fought, clawed, scraped. Uh, they pushed Oregon around at times, which was something that we didn't expect to see. You know, I mean, I, I talked about it last week about just how good Mario Cristobal's teams are at winning the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They have been, for the most part, the Pac-12's top team in the trenches over the last three, four seasons. You throw Utah in there, Stanford, obviously both of those teams very uh, very proud of their line play. But really it's been Oregon, for the most part, that's been the most physical team, uh, the, the most well-coached team, at least up front, in the trenches as well. And on Saturday night, Arizona won that war, and they won it going away. I mean, that was that was a, uh, you know, eight rounds to four in a 12-round in fight. That was an eight rounds to four Arizona over Oregon. That was a dominant win for the Wildcats in the trenches. I felt like they, I mean, for the, for the, for the most part of that game, for the majority of that game, outplayed Oregon on both, both sides of the line of scrimmage, which was something we didn't expect to see. You know, that was, that was a really, really pleasant surprise from the Wildcats and, and something that, quite honestly, needed to be done. It was, it was something we needed to see. Now, Jordan McLeod has, has the game, uh, of course, you know, the ball gets in his hands. And he threw five interceptions, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Because, it, I mean, obviously it's a statistics that's going to go down in history and second most interceptions by a quarterback in a game. It almost like it, it, it was almost forgivable. I think for a lot of the fans that were watching the game, I think it was almost forgivable because the Wildcats were moving the ball so well with him at the helm. It just came to a situation where it's like, oh, we really could have had that one back. They didn't, the interceptions didn't feel like killers, not until the fourth one, the pick six. That one, that one was the, the, the dagger. That was the nail in the coffin, right? That was after, at that, at that play, I sent text out to the people that I were texting during the game. I was like, okay, that's, that's it. That, you know, that, that's going to do it for us tonight. We're down 34-19. Those the pick six. That's it. 22-point ball game with whatever it was, four and a half minutes to go, five minutes to go. And, uh, and that was the end. But the Wildcats were there fighting all the way until that point and continued to fight all the way to the end of the game. We'll get into that some as, as well as Mario Cristobal's throwing the football with two minutes to go up, 22 points. We'll discuss that. Let's dig right into the quarterback play. Okay? Now, this is these were my observations, and I did not get a chance to go back and watch it. I was so busy watching NFL yesterday all the way through the Sunday night game, which was magical for some of us. Uh, I, I want to sh- break down the play. Basically, each of the four interceptions – that mattered in that game by Jordan McLeod. Okay, so he throws five picks. So, first of all, what does that tell us about the the quarterback room for the for Jed Fish? Because Jordan McLeod throws five interceptions, and immediately after the game, he's named Arizona's indefinite starter. He's 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 the obvious and indefinite starter for Jed Fish after throwing a five and after having a five interception game. That should tell you a lot of what you need to know about Arizona's quarterback room right now. Had that happened, imagine if that had happened without seeing Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer on the field. People would think he's nuts. <laughs> if, we, if we hadn't actually seen what else is in that quarterback room after a five-interception game, Jed Fish comes out, he's like, we're going to stick with uh, Jordan McLeod. He's our best quarterback. And people would be going, you crazy. 
There's no way that there's two guys worse than that. And I'm not saying they're worse because each of them bring a very, very different look to the team. But there is no doubt that with Jordan McLeod under center that the Wildcat offense moved the ball better. It's just period, end of story. They had sustained drives. Now, again, Oregon's defense isn't exactly something to write home about. I think it's dead last in the Pac-12 right now. But Arizona had something to do with that. Put up 400 and what, 440 yards of offense on Saturday night? It's pretty damn good. So eliminate the fifth interception. Okay, that was just a forced play with three minutes to go in the game. It's, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter. That, that, that interception doesn't matter. So throw that one out. I want to look at each of the first four because they were uniquely bad in their own way. And look, this is going to sound really bad. This is going to sound like I am just picking on Jordan McLeod. But trust me, every dark McLeod has a silver lining. I just made that up. You're welcome. The first interception was just a blind overthrow in a screenplay. It was Arizona's first play from scrimmage. They try to run a screen, like a, a left side bubble screen for Drake Anderson. Drake Anderson gets lost in traffic because Oregon had kind of sniffed it out, if you will. They were they were thinking that if there was going to be a pass play, it was going to be something easy for a first-time quarterback, and they were right. They kind of sniffed it out. Drake Anderson gets lost in traffic. He's not even looking for the ball. Jordan McLeod has to get rid of it because, he, I mean, there's two Oregon Ducks just bearing down on him, just throws the ball up in the air. The ball never should have been thrown. He wasn't even looking at where he was throwing the football, just hoping, hoping that Drake Anderson was going to be there to catch it or somebody was going to be there to catch it. Um, obviously, if an offensive lineman catches it, that's an illegal touch. Can't do that. But would have been better than the outcome that happened because Oregon uh, Oregon safety, I can't remember his name, came diving into the play, catches the ball, and uh, is down to the 25-yard line. Oregon gets the ball right back. And, you know, from there on, we, we, you know, we know what happened uh, after that. The second interception, it was a situational type of, of play. So the first interception never should have been thrown. Just a, just a, I mean, look, he was under duress, just threw the ball up into the air. Just, just bad, bad all around. 100% bad. The second interception was a, an interception that was thrown under situational awareness. Now, situation in that play uh, it was, it's second down and 11 from the Oregon 12. The Wildcats are down 17-7. Okay, they've got a pulse. They're moving the football. They're running the ball well. McLeod sees Stanley Berryhill in the back of the end zone and kind of floats it up for him. Now, Stanley Berryhill is not Calvin Johnson. He's not 6'5 with a 43-inch vertical. He's Stanley Berryhill, who's barely pushing six feet tall and is going up against two cor- well, a corner and a safety one of which who's going to be the uh, a first-round pick uh, whatever year he comes out in the uh, in the draft, whichever year he decides to enter the draft for Oregon. Uh, Mikel Wright, he, look, they talked about him on the broadcast. I talked about him on, on Thursday and Friday. He's a spectacular player. He made a great play. Now, the ball should not have been thrown where it was. It should have been thrown about 10 yards deeper than that into the bleachers, or it should have just been thrown – out of bounds to the left, whatever. Once he had strung that ball out, once he'd strung the play out and not seen Stanley Berryhill come wide open, which he was not, you never should have thrown that ball. He just he tried to force the ball into a spot where he shouldn't have, and it's just situational awareness. Now, if that had been third down, I'm a little more forgiving of it. 
but it was second down. Wildcats still had life. They still had breath in their lungs as far as that drive goes. It was just, it was just a bad decision. Situational awareness, things like that, those will, those will come with time. Those are, you know, that's, that's a young quarterback that's just like, I have to make a play right now. Because if you, if you look at that, look at that particular play, that was, what was that, the 11th play of that drive? 11th play of the drive. They had, yeah, they had previously run 10 plays. They had converted a couple of third downs. It was kind of a, you know, they were averaging about five and a half yards per play or so. He just kind of, I don't know, he, he, I think he felt like, like we got to do something here. Because they tried to run the trick play with Barry Hill on the previous play, right? That was the play where they had been setting up jet sweeps. They'd been setting it up in the first half, um, or in the first quarter, I should say. They ran the, the they ran two jet sweeps to Stanley Barry Hill to boundary side. And Rod Gilmore, in all of his wisdom, the color analyst that ESPN put on the game, was absolutely terrible, uh, was saying, I can't believe they're running to the boundary side. Why are they running to boundary? I don't understand why they run to boundary. Dude, shut up. Like, it's the first quarter of the game. Okay? And then we found out why they were doing that. They were setting it up. They were setting up a wide receiver pass. They ran Stanley Berry Hill oppo. Then once they got to the left, the left side hash, they ran a left boundary jet sweep with a pass. Stanley Berry Hill was absolutely going to throw that football. But Oregon, to their credit, they deed it up. I mean, they, they did a good job They because you know, uh, – Arizona had tried to release the tight end. I if it was Alex Lyons or Bryce Wolma on that play. They tried to release him to the front of the end zone. Oregon did a good job dropping their backer and kind of blocking off the play. Stanley Barry Hill took the ball out of bounds. Stanley Barry Hill made the right decision. Instead of trying to force the ball in there, okay, he made a, an experienced senior decision, ran the ball out of bounds. Jordan McLeod gets a basically the same look on the next play and throws an interception. It's just about experience. Situational awareness. That was the... That was the second interception. Okay, that kind of stuff will be discussed. Jordan McLeod will remember that, and hopefully he will apply that to his next game when they come out against UCLA in two weeks. Now, the third pick was a double indictment on Jordan McLeod and his decision-making ability, his inexperience, his lack of arm, all those kind of things. It was kind of a double indictment. That was the play where, and I can't remember which tight end it was. I can't remember if it was Wolma or Lyons was about three yards deep, four yards deep in the end zone. And Jordan McLeod tried to get him the ball to the, you know, to the right side. Now, instead of throwing to the back pylon, which is where you're supposed to throw that ball, okay, he threw it to the front pylon. Now, that's great. You can throw that ball to the front pylon if you have the right arm of John Elway. Not a problem. You throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in there, zip. I mean, you can squeeze it right past that uh, that safety who's running over. You're more it, it's 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 not easy, but you can basically place that ball to where the tight end is just kind of falling out of bounds, right there, about two yards deep in the end zone. Keeps his toes on the line of scrimmage or in, in the in the field of play, I should say, and just kind of falls out of bounds, and it's touchdown. You have to zip that ball in. You have to throw that ball so fast. Jordan McLeod doesn't have that kind of an arm. We know that. We knew that all along. So you either have to rifle that ball in there to play front pylon or you have to throw the ball up to the back pylon where only your guy can get it. And if your guy doesn't get it, then they don't, and you get another play out of it. Okay? 
that was that was the other one, you know, where I was just like, oh boy. Now that was a third down play, okay. Uh, so it's you know he he was trying to make something happen, but again, in that situation, it's twenty four ten. Arizona can kick the field goal. You don't have to force it in there. Okay, it would have been a 34, 35-yard attempt, I think, from there. But that's a long play to make. It was third and six from the 17. You got to throw that ball 20 yards on a line. I mean, on a zip line. You got to rifle that thing in there. He lacks the arm talent to be able to do that. Okay, so when they go back and look at that one, they're going to say that's a back pylon throw for you. It's a front pylon throw, maybe for Gunner, but for you, it's a back pylon throw. Just remember that the next time you try to throw that loft that ball to the front pylon that's going to get picked every single time every single time that's easy pickings now thankfully the uh the corner ran you know ran out of bounds thankfully Verone mckinley instead of trying to turn it up field just grabbed the ball ran the ball out to the to the two yard line ran out of bounds and pinned them deep which led to the safety now the fourth pick was just simply a situation where Jordan McLeod was trying to do too much. It was late in the game. They the Wildcats had just gone down again. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, the Oregon had scored to make it thirty four nineteen. It was twenty seven nineteen. Oregon scores make it thirty four nineteen. Wildcats get the ball back. They he completes a pass, a big pass to Booby Curry. Then Wiley gets two runs in a row. They get another first down, and on first and ten at midfield. He throws a ball into traffic, into double, and maybe even triple coverage. I don't remember. Um, I'd have to go back and look. But it, it resulted in a pick six. That was just a young player who is hyped on the sidelines, talking to the players. Um, you know, you're, you've, you've got these delusions of grandeur. Trust me, I, I've been there before. Even though I'm not somebody that would have a ball in my hand uh, during the game, you're standing there on the sideline, and you're, if you're facing a really good team, you've got them, uh, you know, on the ropes. You got them not not where you want them, but I mean, you've got you're you're well within target of them, and you're playing well, and you're like, we can do this. We we can make we can make a play. All we, have do, all we have to do is make one big play, one big play, and we're back in this thing. and We can win this thing. And Jordan McLeod went out there and tried to make that big play, and he forced it. It just he's trying to do too much. It happens all the time. Now. Breaking these down the way that I did leads us to the notion that he's not a good quarterback. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. This is a quarterback who got his first Pac-12 start against the number three team in the country. Two defensive backs on that team are going to be playing in the NFL. One of them will most certainly be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Michael Wright is about as good as they come. And Verone McKinley who I think is either second or the first in the country in interceptions, is moving right up that list as well. He also went up against Kayvon Thibodeau, who played a lot of snaps before he got hurt, who's going to be probably uh, what, what many people believe the, the number one pick in the NFL draft. This was a, a, a much better audition than the statistics will show us. These are, these are fixable issues, Okay. Many of these situations were a quarterback who was either unaware of the situation trying to do too much or just not really up to speed on the speed of the game that Oregon brings. Now, against Stanford, 
maybe a couple of those plays don't get don't get made. A couple of those interceptions don't get made. Maybe the pick six doesn't get run back against UCLA. But against Oregon, it did. You can't you, you, you can't make mistakes like that against Oregon. They will make you pay. And we found out that on Saturday night. Do I believe that Jordan McLeod should be the starter moving forward? Absolutely. Abso-freaking-lutely. That team played with a renewed fire, vigor. They went on the road in one of the more hostile environments in college football. We know that. They've, they're 19-1 in their last 20 home games. They've only lost to Stanford at home in that time. And they moved the ball. They outgained Stanford in the game. They had sustained drives. They were able to run the football. He was able to make good decisions 75% of the time. I thought a lot of his balls after the first quarter were a lot more accurate. Once he settled down, the passes became more crisp, more accurate. He was able to, to lead his receivers a lot better in those situations, and I thought he played a fine ball game outside of the four mistakes plus one uh, that he made, which, okay, let, let me, let's call it like it is. It, I mean, it, it crushed any chances Arizona had for winning that football game. Those turnovers just killed the chances for Arizona to win the game. It's nothing new. I mean, we've seen this before, but I think Arizona fans and I think the coaching staff will take it at this point. It's not a moral victory. I don't believe in them. The team doesn't believe in them. Uh, Fans can believe in them all they want. That's fine. But it's not a moral victory. What it is is a developmental process where you say, okay, we found out what we can't do against the elite defenses, the elite players in college football in our conference. But coming up in two weeks against UCLA, who I do not think is <clears throat> are elite, I do think they, they have one of the worst. Well, they do have. I think it is the worst pass defense in the conference. So Arizona's got to be feeling pretty good about where they're at right now situationally. And I'll tell you why coming up after the break. Join Spears and Ali every afternoon for NFL Cover 2 covering all of the latest NFL news and notes, and they'll have it, of course, for you today from 3 to 6 this afternoon. It's brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing in Arizona. Now, as bad as it all looked, maybe on the stat sheet, there's a lot of good things to glean from Arizona's performance on Saturday night. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Stay tuned. Uh, I got some monster truck tickets to give away at some point uh, this morning. So be listening for your cue to call. and You can win some monster truck tickets. I think that's coming up uh, this Saturday, I believe. So uh, stay tuned for that. See if we can give away some tickets for those and uh, get your uh, family out to see some big monster truck action going on this weekend down in Tucson. Now, returning to Wildcat football talk, as bad as the quarterback play has been in the first four weeks of the season, okay, now this is on this is a season uh, as, as a whole on the season, okay, as bad as quarterback play has been, as porous and as discombobulated as the offensive line has looked for a majority of this season, and considering the talent gap on the field, along with a coaching staff who is working together for the first time, the Wildcats have outgained their opponent in three of their four games this season. San Diego State was the only one. 
435 yards of offense against Oregon, 393 for Oregon, under 400 again uh, for the uh, for the Wildcat defense. Wildcats rushed for 202 yards in the game, season high. 435 total yards, season high. Now, I mentioned, uh, you know, Oregon's defense is not that good. It's rated 11th or 12th in the conference right now as far as total yardage and stuff goes. They're not a great defense right now, but they're a team that's winning football games and they're able to turn uh, turn teams away with turnovers and things like that. Obviously, they had a great win on the road at Ohio State, and I think Oregon's going to continue to win games because they've got tremendous amounts of playmakers on that field. So with all that being said, as bad as we as bad as the quarterbacks have been, a quarterback who just threw five interceptions was given the vote of confidence by the head coach and said he's our quarterback moving forward. Okay? Think about that for a minute. <laughs> I mean, really. Who does that? The offensive line has been a problem all season. The media has asked Jed Fish at every single press conference he's had about the offensive line. Why the offensive line having trouble? Why this? Why are there so many plays in the backfield? Why all this going on? It's been bad. We talked about the communication, the level of communication on the offensive line, which I'll get into in a moment, because all that changed on Saturday night. So as, as discombobulated and disconnected and porous as the offensive line has been for 98% of this season, and, of course, look, there's a, there's a glaring talent gap between Arizona and many of the teams that they're playing. It's vast. It's noticeable. Okay. The coaching staff being together for the first time, the Wildcat offense is outgaining their opponents. Except for the San Diego State game, they've outgained their opponent in three of the four games. It's just it's extremely impressive. Now, the defense deserves some credit too. Don Brown, that tough SOB who took a shot on Saturday night, uh, after a player got shoved into the into the uh, into the bench, Don Brown just sitting there unbeknownst to anything, talking to his defense, gets rolled up. He was knocked out for a minute. Now Don Brown's defense deserves some credit too, because they've held three of their four opponents this season under 400 total yards. Now in college football, it's a pretty good number. It's a pretty darn good number to have in college football. College football is very unforgiving on defenses. 500, 600, 700 yards, not, a, not out of the realm of something that happens every single day in every single conference uh, every week in college football. But Arizona has held three of its first four opponents under 400 yards of offense. Now, where does that, where does that compare to previous Wildcat defenses? Well, in their previous 17 games, in the 2019 season and the 2020 season, they held, the Arizona defense held their opponents under 400 yards exactly once. And that was the Territorial Cup game up in Tempe. Uh, the, the 24-14 game, remember Khalil Tate threw three picks in that game. Um, Arizona State couldn't, couldn't throw the football. They were running the football like crazy. They couldn't throw the football at all to save their life. It was kind of a weird game, real sloppy, just not a, not a very well-played football game. Arizona State had like 330 yards of offense that day. It was it just it wasn't very good. Arizona didn't have 400 yards of offense either. So in the previous two seasons, Arizona had held teams under 400 yards once in one of the ugliest territorial cup games you'll see. Other than that, teams were just teeing off 
450, 500, 550. There was just open range to run around freely on the Wildcat defense. Not so much this year. They had breakdowns in the first half against San Diego State. That was that was huge. I think they gave up 330 yards in the first half to San Diego State and only gave up, I think it was 100 yards in the second half total. It was pretty good. So, you know, they had the laps in, in uh, the first half of that game, obviously. But other than that, they've had some pretty good offenses in check. BYU doesn't seem to be slowing down on anybody. That quarterback continues to get better, and, uh, and they're doing extremely well. We know, that, uh, we, we know that Oregon, we know what they bring to the table offensively. How much do they have against Ohio State? Like 480? They moved the ball at will on Ohio State. On Ohio State. Up and down the field. You know, if it's not for the turnovers and the penalties on Arizona in that game, you know, not only does Arizona have a chance to win, but it's you're looking at where Oregon just looks like maybe like 300 yards of offense in that game possibly. I, you know, again, the team continues to fight. The team, look, and this is the team that fans were like, oh, the season's over, we're going to fire the coach, blah, blah, blah. Last week after the loss to NAU, and I said here, it was the lowest that it had ever been. I also said that things get worse before they get better. <laughs> I don't. I didn't think anything could get worse than what happened last Saturday night in Arizona Stadium, and I don't think they can. And Arizona proved that on Saturday night in Autzen Stadium, fighting their way through that game for 60 minutes, playing for 60 minutes. There were some lapses, sure. They gave up some big plays, absolutely. They also had some big plays. They fought back. They punched back. Team showed heart. They showed pride. And I thought they played, I thought they, for the most part, they played extremely well and in many cases outplayed Oregon in that game. Partially why I think Mario Cristobal looked so pissed off the entire time. Look, that is a game that he expected to win by 50. I guarantee you that he and his coaches were probably watching film, laughing, and saying, we're going to win this game by 50, boys. Which is probably why he was still trying to throw the football with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter of that game, up 22 points. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a classless move. Some people were pretty perturbed about it. I think Jed Fish may have been pretty upset about it as well because that's, that, that handshake after the game was icy cold. Ice cold handshake. And Jed Fish is one of the nicest people I ever meet. You know, that that was, I mean, Cristobal didn't even look him in the eye. Was just looking past him the entire time. He was trying to rub the score. Now, he did it with his backup quarterback. So I'm going to forgive it for now. But we'll see uh, what happens over the next few seasons with those two. Because I think, and I, I, even, I even tweeted this out, I think, I think we found Jed Fish's first rival. That did not sit well with, with Coach Fish, guaranteed. Throwing the football, throwing deep balls, up 22 points with two minutes to go. Not going to sit well with the opposing coach. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we will continue to talk some college football, but we'll start to trans more in, tra- transition more into NFL because there was so much to get into over the weekend in the NFL. Uh, but I do want to wrap up some things about the game in, uh, in Oregon on Saturday night. Join Spears and Ali for Monday Night Football as they broadcast their show live from Famous Sam's at River and La Choya. It's a clean and friendly spot to hang out with. Uh, bring your family, bring your friends. 
happy hours from 2 to 6, and you can enjoy the 42 televisions and over 20 beers on tap that they have there. But from 3 to 6 today, Monday Night Football with Spears and Ali. It's the famous Sam's on River and LaCholla. Be there, hang out with the boys, and uh, have a good time watching some Monday Night Football tonight. We'll return after this. It's the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Join ESPN Tucson for the Roadrunners Fan Fest Sunday, October 3rd. We'll be there along with mascot Dusty. The event is from 9 a.m. to noon. It's going to be held at the Crossroads at Silver Bell District Park in Marana, and it's going to be a great family atmosphere. There's going to be prizes and games, food trucks, face painters, bounce houses, obstacle courses, yard games, a dunk tank, all kinds of stuff going on, and admission is free with a non-perishable food donation. Get your, non, get your non-perishables together, bring them down, and uh, help out the Tucson community. Get in for free to Tucson uh, ESP, and join ESPN Tucson at the Roadrunners Fan Fest this Sunday from 9 to noon at Silver Bell Park. We'll, we'll talk plenty of U of A football throughout the week. I'm going to go back. I'll review, the, I'll review the tape. I'll watch the game again probably on mute so I don't have to hear those idiot announcers. I, I, I was perturbed. I was, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know how perturbed I was listening to their hack job of a broadcast. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I'll continue to talk U of A football this week as they're on a bye. Um, and then, of course, next week when they gear up for the home game against UCLA. Now, just a little programming note. I will not be here Monday and Tuesday. I'm on vacation uh, I know vacations are like sacrilege for sports talk hosts during football season, but this is a vacation that I planned seven months ago before we knew we were coming back on the air at this time. So uh, so I will not be here next Monday and Tuesday. So if you hear ESPN uh, syndicated programming, don't think I've been kicked off the air or been given the boot or suspended or something like that, although that could be the case. <laughs> that may be the case at some point. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, I won't be here next Monday or, or Tuesday to, to uh, uh, for the show, just FYI. So when you look at, and again, we'll continue to talk, you know, Arizona football. There was there was some mistakes that were made in the game that were just are kind of almost like unsung. They were like overshadowed by the by the interceptions, right? The the kick return that uh, you know you you put Jamari Joyner out there. I'm shocked that Oregon didn't think something was up because I mean, Jamari Joyner has not been returning kicks for the Wildcats this season, okay? I'm surprised Oregon didn't think something was up. They kicked the ball to Jamari Joyner, almost like maybe they did know something was up and they tried to bait him into something. I don't know. Regardless, Jamari Joyner receives the kick, throws the ball about 40 yards across the field. The football field's 53 and a third yards wide, and he threw it almost the entire way from sideline to sideline. It was pretty close. Uh, However, the pass is about two yards forward, which is unfortunately illegal. I didn't think it was a great – I didn't love the decision. I like that you try to change some things up, that you're trying to give Oregon some different looks. You, look, you're Arizona. You have to try to score and gain yards in any way you possibly can. I just don't know if having a guy in his first game appearance of the season throwing a pass 40 yards across the field on a kick return. And I know Jed Fish after the game said that they've been practicing it for three weeks and that it had been – all those details had been worked out. But look, you get into a game, things change. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of of having Jamari Joyner in his first game appearance 
get involved in a play like that. Now, if again, if it works, Jed Fish and Scott Spurrier look like geniuses, and I'm talking about what a great play it was today. That's unfortunately just the way it is. Um, I still wouldn't have liked the fact that Jamari Joyner in his first game action was doing that, but nonetheless, it was something they practiced, and you get into the game, and little details kind of slip through. And that's these are some of the things that, that the staff and the players are working through, just little details. And I think, I think that's what Drake Anderson said after the game uh, when he was meeting with the media. They had asked him what um, what Jed Fish, you know, what Coach Fish's message was to the team after the game, and it was basically like, like let's just clean up the little things. We we gotta we gotta clean up the little details because this team has to learn how to win again. <clears throat> and it's it's true. It's a weird it's a weird psyche to be in this like losing streak. I, I've been in them before. I've been I've been on really good teams that were on losing streaks that just no matter what you did, it was wrong. You could practice all week long on things and have it down pat, feeling good about yourself. You get into a game, all of a sudden things are falling apart. And it wasn't like the other team was doing it to you. You were doing it to yourself. And the longer the losing streak occurred, the worse it got. And that's where Arizona is right now. These players, you know, I mentioned I mentioned the Territorial Cup game from from 2019, and I was looking at the defensive players in that game. I was like, oh, who's, who's playing defense for the, for the Wildcats that day? And I'm like, oh, he still plays, he still plays, he still plays, he still plays, he still plays. I mean, the team is still littered with, with players from that season. The last time, you know, that Arizona had a win. Going all the way back to the Colorado game of 2019. It's been a long time for these guys, long time. They have to figure out how to sharpen up the details to get them a win. Now, am I saying that this team's going to go out there and win multiple games this season? I don't know. It's it's on them. Can they iron out the details that is required to get them from from losing, essentially? Now, you get into a game like this against Oregon, you get into a fight against them, you're down five points going into the fourth quarter, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Now, Oregon scored 17 unanswered points, one of those on a pick six. The other two on just like, – there were some big plays that Oregon cracked off in that, uh, in that fourth quarter that they were able to – you know, they were able to be the better team. But I think if you ask those players today to look in the mirror, their head is held a little bit higher today. They're feeling renewed, I guess. They, they're, they're, they're understanding that this process is starting to take hold, that the change is coming. You know, why wasn't Arizona able to run the football in the first few weeks? Well, there's, there's several reasons why. Number one, we talked about the offensive line and just how bad it has been in the first three weeks. Lack of communication. Team was communicating on Saturday night, probably out of necessity because of the, the noise uh, at Autzen Stadium. Although sometimes that place was that, – that's some of the quietest I've ever heard Autzen Stadium before was Saturday night. That was – those fans were on, sitting on their hands. They were nervous. Part of the you know part of the process of playing in a situation where it's loud like that is you have to be able to communicate to to the man next to you. It forced Arizona's offensive line to start communicating with one another, and they had positive results. They're like, see, it does work, <laughs> you know, and and I think I, I think Jed Fish even talked about it uh, after the game, 
in his, in his post-game presser where he just said that guys are, are more comfortable now with the scheme. Okay? It's a very different scheme than they've run previously. It's a different scheme than the guys have run, uh, whether, you know, Drake Anderson at North, uh, Northwestern or Michael Wiley ran in the last year, last two years. Very different, very different rushing scheme. It's a it's a zone scheme. I think I'll have to look at the numbers, or you know, I'll just I'll just watch the tape and just kind of log it. I don't know which I'll do. Maybe a little bit of both, but um, just from just from memory of watching the game, it looked like it was a good two thirds to three quarters of zone scheme to gap scheme. Okay, that takes time. Zone scheme is not easy. It works great uh, once everybody buys in and everybody's on the same page. But it's, it's not easy to pick up, especially if you've just been running gap scheme your entire life. It's not easy because everybody has to be working in concert, everyone. One person breaks down, that's it. So you, the comfortability portion of the running game is starting to, to come into play. Let's hope that continues. The passing game has already been really, really good. And we'll go over some of the statistics and stuff this week that Arizona has established in its first four weeks of play this particular season. But, look, I said last week things will get better. Things always do. Things things will get worse before they get better. That's the way it always goes. And there was thought that the game that ended the 2020 season was not the worst it could be, that things could get worse. And it did. Losing to NAU, essentially for the first time ever. They were a, a teacher's college before uh, before they lo- before the Arizona lost them the last time. So, essentially the first time ever. It was NAU's first win over an FBS school ever. That's, that's the worst it can get. Now it's just onward and upward, okay? The team did not let the NAU game beat them twice. This game was, this particular loss on Saturday was a, it was, it was, zero, it was zero, 0 Clean slate, Arizona walked in there. They got down 10 nothing. Scored 10-7, 17-7. They were able to make a game of it. 24-19 going into the fourth quarter. They are they are clean with the house. They're 0-1 to start Pac-12 play. They're going to try to bounce back in two weeks against UCLA. We'll see about that, and we'll certainly talk about that over the next two weeks. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to start to transition into NFL, and then coming up at the 8 o'clock hour, the Dean's List and the Dunce List. And there's still a whole lot more. I've got my review of the Friday Five, my NFL locks of the week. Still plenty more to do here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, quick segment here, and then the quick turnaround to the top of the hour. Remember, it's just a quick little two-minute break. And then we're right back on it at 8 o'clock. And 8 o'clock is the Dean's List and the Dunce List. Stay tuned for that. Let's, let's look at my picks from, from Friday. Friday's show, because um, we have just that kind of amount of time here to, uh, to go over. My Friday five and NFL locks of the week. Let's start with my Sunday parlay, uh, NFL locks of the week. Normally I just do one pick. Sometimes I'll do two. This time I was feeling salty. I was like, let's go with it. We're going to do a parlay. Cardinals minus 7.5 and, and the Titans minus 5.5. I was gladly and confidently able to cash in that ticket on my FanDuel Sportsbook app and was very happy about that as both of those covered. I am now 4-0 on the season against the spread in my NFL locks of the week and going back to last year, 
where I was 13 and 4 against the spread, things just continue to get better. So 17 and 4 since the beginning of last season against the spread in my NFL locks of the week. You're going to want to stay tuned this Friday for my NFL lock of the week this week. Now, the Friday five also turned out quite well, and I'm starting to pick up some momentum there as well. My college picks this weekend, I essentially made seven of them. Okay, one of them did got did not get made on the air, but it is public if you want to check it out. <laughs> because I, I flipped a coin between the Texas and Texas Tech game and the Duke-Kansas game, and the Duke-Kansas game came up, so I had to pick that one. But I already had my pick for the Texas-Texas Tech game, published it, and uh, it won as well. So college picks this weekend, I went 5-2, and two, and uh, I'm 14-9 and nine on the season for the Friday Five. Notre Dame, I picked straight up over Wisconsin. They housed Wisconsin. The Badgers still have no quarterback to speak of, and uh, that's going to be their undoing as this season goes on. Uh, and, and, look, their defense is great, but it can only hold up for so long if you've got a bad quarterback. I also picked Arkansas plus 5.5. They are just the surprise darlings of the season, aren't they? The Razorbacks continue beating teams from Texas and reuniting those old swack conference rivalries. Now, I lost my Stanford plus 4.5 against UCLA. UCLA scored late to take a big lead in that game, but I did bet the over – 58 and a half, which came through for that one. Iowa State continues to be the biggest disappointment in college football. I had them minus seven. They lost the game outright to Baylor, 31-29. They're a disaster. I did have Texas minus nine over Texas Tech. They hung 70 on the Red Raiders. That one came in, and Duke scored a late touchdown to cover the 16-point spread against Kansas as they uh, were able to wear down the Jayhawks' front line and kick in some free throws to cover that spread in the game. All right, stay tuned because the Dean's List and the Dunce List is next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson, KFFN Tucson, KWCX Tanka Verde, KMXZ HD4 Tucson.